Today, we're going to speak about mom and pops in retail. First of all, thank you to all of our participants. Thank you to our allies, ASEA Megade, GAN Generation S, Global Corporate Venture, Innova360, IBCA, LAPCA, and BC Academy. Today, we have great panelists. First of all, Akanshka Hasari. She's the founder and CEO of Love Local, a social entrepreneur and project winner of Origin Innovation Award 2020 and Google Launchpad in 2018. Love Local mission is to digitalize and organize local retailers to power the largest retail network in the world and deliver the neighborhood shopping experience of the future. Thank you, Akanshka, for being today with us. We also have Arjuna Costa. He is the managing partner of Flourish Venture. Arjuna is driven by the deep compassion for vulnerable population across the globe and partners with entrepreneurs using innovative technologies. He co-manages Flourish with a primary focus on venture investing across emerging markets in Asia, Africa, and Latam. Arjuna, thank you so much for being today with us as well. So let's get started. First of all, today, because of the pandemic, there is a revolution in terms of retail tech in, and mom and pops, they are not the exception. Everyone has shopped at a mom and pop at some point in time. What are some pains that users have when visiting these retailers? Akanshka. Hey Hector, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to, to discuss this topic. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm just to understand your question, it's, it's around the pain points that retailers currently have uh, in the market today in terms of going online? Yeah, and more specifically about the users. What are the pain points that, you know, users have when they access the, those retailers? I think we are in an uh, unprecedented, um, for better or worse, tailwind for, for anyone who's trying to digitize anything. And obviously, especially in emerging markets, unorganized retail or general trade or independent shops, whatever the the right name for them really powers retail in the countries uh, in, in all of these emerging markets. So I think we are in an area where finally there's incredibly high motivation from retailers to go online. Uh, however, that's combined with, I would say, uh, low, low understanding of technology, but high desire to learn. And so I think it's first and foremost, whatever problem you decide to solve for local retailers, you have to make sure it is something or built in a way that requires uh, as limited behavior change or participation from them by using product technology, things like data science and machine learning to solve a lot of the problems around uh, introducing technology into their operations. So I'll give you an example. We use machine learning around cataloging. So when you bring shops online, it is very unrealistic to, to expect them to sit there and create catalogs manually particularly in, in, in categories where they have thousands and thousands of products. So we basically have used data science and machine learning that shops, if they never interacted with catalogs at all, would be able to launch online and sell online on Love Local within 15 minutes. So that's one thing. You have, you're in an environment where, like I said, high motivation, low, low understanding of tech. So builds to create a frictionless, uh, frictionless experience that, um, doesn't require them to learn a lot of new things quickly and tap into behaviors they're used to, for example, voice, chat, etc. I think the other thing is uh, everything from supply side to in-shop operations to launching online to consumer management and marketing. And uh, in my view of the world, and this is uh, India first view of the world, I think you have to be part of a shop's PNL effectively to, uh, to get their interest. So I think if you really want to build a business where shops see value and eventually consider paying for your service or your platform, either they need to see a direct line uh, between the problem that you're, that, that you're solving and revenue and their customers, or they need to see a direct line between the bottom side of their PNL, which is savings on the cost side. Uh, local shops and unorganized retailers no, not at a state yet or at a mature enough state yet where optimizations around business are big enough and relevant enough to enough retailers at scale. So I'll give you an example. Billing costs, long discussed in India, never taken off. The reason why it hasn't taken off is because uh, it's an expense on their line item on their books. It's pretty expensive for a shop in India to, first of all, get a billing system. 
The second is in terms of a billing system, where is the direct line to revenue on the customer side or savings on the cost side? And typically that will be on the supply side. In fact, uh, billing costs actually has two, two cost line items suddenly for a shop. It's not just the cost of the system, but the staff that can actually use that system. And so the number of retailers that are at that, I would say wealth stage or size stage that can afford to invest in it and then afford to understand like the very long tail implications of this in terms of efficiency for their business is a very, very small segment. And so the second part is I think when you're figuring out where to play and where to solve, I would say first and foremost, you have to ask how am I re relevant to their PNL? Am I relevant? Is the problem that I'm solving relevant with a direct line for a retailer on revenue or costs? And can they measure it in terms of, like I said, repeat value or dollar value on either side? And if they can't, then you're very unlikely to build something at scale. Great, thank you. Arjuna, what are your thoughts about this? That um, maybe I'll flip flip to the other side from the from the customer and consumer perspective and a user of some of these traditional retail stores sector. Um, and you started touching on the challenges. Maybe I'll start actually with with why it's important and what the benefits are. Right. Uh, it really is a level of personalized service and connection to the shopkeeper. It's a sense of community and belonging because it's your neighborhood retail store. They still call it mom and pop for a reason. It is run by somebody in your community that you have a longstanding relationship with. Um, and it's convenience, they're right there. It is high frequency, often low value shopping experiences that give you high convenience. It's not the once, once a week grocery store trip. It's the three, four times a week, picking up a little thing that that adds to the meal or, you know, something that's missing in the, in the household. It's a multi, multi-member family experience. In other words, parents often send the kids out to go pick up some sugar or eggs, and there's a level of trust. So that is really critical, right? And preserving that is, is I think, how um, Akanksha probably thinks about the solution she's building. I, I think one of the critical things is just a lack of consistency, right? It's not a predictable shopping experience. There's often stockouts, so availability is an issue. You go there expecting to buy products and it's not on the shelf. Um, it's not organized. Uh, the shopping experience isn't consistent again, right? Um, things are just scattered haphazardly. Uh, you have limited payment options as people digitize more and more and adopt things like mobile wallets, um, those payment options aren't frequently accepted. Um, so you've got to carry cash and you've got to think ahead about, okay, here's, here's a store I'm going to need cash at. Um, and then services, service levels are not consistent as well. Um, you know, there's no owner operator, but Akanksha touched on this. There's often one or two employees that may not be trained in all aspects of the business, that may not know where something is on the shelves, may not know when it's coming, may not know when the delivery truck's coming, you know, when, when they can expect to have an item on, on, on the shelf. So all of that leads to a, a shopping experience that detracts from all of the important things I started with, right? That sense of community and belonging and relationship and, um, and, and personalization. So how do we balance these two? How do we retain the good while fixing some of the challenges? And I think Akanksha was very um, sort of thoughtful in telling us how to start that journey. Of course, no, thank you for that. And I mean, we're talking about uh, right now the pains that uh, all these stores are having, but once the technology is implemented in the operations, what are the main aspects that uh, on the operations of the mom and pops that are being uh, impacted by the technology use. I don't know, Akanshka, you have any view on this? Um, so like I said, the I would say the, the two things that um, are having the most relevance to local shops and will see the highest ad adoption, to be honest, is anything related to either um, sales or savings. 
Now, what that means in this day and age, especially in this context, and obviously the business we're in is actually taking the shop online and enabling them to uh, become discoverable online in terms of a shop, you know, show their products, show their prices, show their local deals and offers, and especially like a, a context like COVID, um, being discoverable and having the ability to, to compete with I think it's been framed as compete with e-commerce. The big e-commerce players is how it's been framed. But the reality is the bigger challenge that shops face um, is the fact that the next generation is very different and you have a pandemic layered on top of it. So these trends are macro trends of consumer behavior changing, um, even with uh, the vast majority of consumers that still prefer, for all the reasons that Arjuna say, that, that still prefer to shop at at local shops because local shops have always been the best consumer experience. The only thing that's changed is technology, right? And technology is suddenly this thing that is a, a very new thing that they cannot learn overnight and they need a partner for that. And so in that context, the other trend that's happened is that, you know, it's not the parents or the grandparents generation that, you know, in some cases, all the shopping for the household was also a social activity. This I call the TikTok generation. If I have a choice to be on Netflix or TikTok, the last thing I'm going to go and do is buy groceries. It's a very unsexy category. Right? <laughs> so the trends that have been happening anyway is that all Indian consumers in particular have been exposed to e-commerce. And so suddenly you have an entire generation that sees another way to shop. On top of that, you have a drop in the price of smartphones that happened a couple of years ago. Then you have the drop in the price of data with Geo in 2018. So India basically has the cheapest data in the world. Do so you have these three trends that at a shop level were reflecting in, you know, 50% of a shop's orders started to come on the phone. The phone is the lowest form of online ordering. So, and, and actually when your customer switches to the phone, the value of the customer decreases because when you walk into a store, you go to buy one thing, you buy 10 things. If you order on the phone, there's so much friction in that process that you'll just say the three items that you want and you, you know, don't have the time or the patience, nor is the experience set up for any kind of discovery or car selling or upselling. And so in some ways, every time a consumer moves to the phone for a shop, they're actually degrading the AOV or the value of that consumer. So that's been happening for a number of years. And then if you stop and stand in any local shop in India, you will not find any young people walking in. You will find the people who physically walk in are usually above the age of 40 or 45 at least. And shops have seen this trend for a while. And then you have COVID, which has put restrictions on all generations from physically leaving their homes. And so I would say a fundamental problem where technology is required and there's a sense of urgency from shops as well as they realize to be in retail long term, they need to be online. And it's no longer the narrative of just competing with, you know, potentially the Amazons and the grofers and the big baskets of the world. In fact, the larger problem is these trends that have come and fundamentally changed the behavior of their consumers. The second place where you see scale is on the B2B side. Uh, here again, um, you know, penetration is still very low. A lot of supply side is incredibly disorganized through, you know, traditional distributors, traditional wholesalers, stockists, you know, sub stockists, et cetera. However, you do have large players emerging here trying to organize that and hopefully start to bring cost savings to the retailer. The things in the middle honestly have not seen much traction. So like I said, billing costs is a great example. Digital payments is one that one can either call a feature or infrastructure. I wouldn't call this retailer specific. I think it's just infrastructure that's gonna be the backbone of all commerce. Um, other things, again, like I said, when they're pure play operations and a store cannot figure out how it plays on their PNL, I would say we're going to see those solutions become important probably in like five to 10 years from now. That's my view of the world. Okay. Arjuna, any, any thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, I, th I think Akanksha had a, a very thoughtful about the online piece. Um, but let's, let's think about the continuum of, of tech uh, that I think we could start to bring to these uh, mom and pop stores. As Akanksha mentioned, you've got to figure out how to either drive revenue or save them on cost. There was a generation of tech startups that, that tried to build technology for, I'd say data and better management 
better insights, and they'll struggle to get scale. I think this next generation of startups trying to serve the B2B, uh, the small uh, retail through B2B e-commerce are starting with things like ordering platforms, better logistics. Um, so how can you diversify your range of SKUs as a store owner? How can you not have to rely on um, a fundamentally unreliable multi-layer chain between the product manufacturer and this last mile? How do you get better logistics? How do you get better pricing, predictable pricing? How do you, how do you have predictable delivery times? How do you not have to potentially leave the store and go to a wholesaler to, to stock up? Because that opportunity cost of that time being away from the store is important, right? So how do you solve those pain points through technology? Um, and then once you have that hook, and you're integrated into the business, how can you then layer on all of the nice to have technology layers that we all think about, right? How do you have an ERP system in place such that you prevent um, stockouts in the future, do better inventory management? How do you do digital payment acceptance? Uh, as Akankasha was saying, uh, you know, POS devices, mobile POS devices, QR codes, how, how do you make it easy? How do you make that shopping experience easier? Then you start to add on, if you're in the data flow, how do you do account management? How do you actually give them a sense of what that PNL is, how much you're helping them save or how much revenue you're driving? Um, often there's, um, there's one or two employees. So how do you help them think about managing that, that, uh, that employee base? Sometimes it's friends and family um, and it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a hard management task. Um, and then financial services is another layer that's being embedded into all of these other um, technology use cases. Like once you have visibility into a shop's um, ordering flow, into their revenue flows, it gives you more ability to understand the dynamics of the business, underwrite the risk and offer credit, even if it's simple payment terms on, on um, on, on what they're ordering. It starts to build a multifaceted relationship underpinned by a useful hook product, um, you know, either that affects the top line or the bottom line. But that I think is, is the critical piece is to build an intuitive, simple use case that's used every day and then layer on all of these other technology components. Yeah, and, and as discussed, obviously these mom and pops, they are typically managed by one or two owners. It's basically a family store, right? And maybe you have a couple of workers. So in terms of technology, how do you make it easy and accessible so they can really implement that technology in the retail store, Akenshka? Um, So I can speak to our, our approach here. Um, so. I think, you know, as I mentioned before, is how do you make them have to do as little work as possible? So, um, you know, for us, a couple of things that we've done very differently from other players that have tried to solve this problem is, uh, one is we have completely digital acquisition, onboarding and management of shops. So we have no physical sales team. The entire platform to start selling online is completely app-driven. That's how, for example, and. 12 months, we went from being in one city to more than 30 cities. Uh, and I think a lot of the dynamics that have happened in the last few years have obviously built, laid the groundwork for, for us to be able to do something like that. The second thing um, is cataloging, right? Instead of, uh, instead of expecting a shop, for example, to sit and upload their catalogs, we use data science and machine learning. So we thought, hey, retailers are very busy people. Is there some way we could use data and insights to actually enable a, a, a flow or an onboarding flow that at one click of a button, they could start selling online? And this is actually one of the most complex problems that there is to solve, particularly if you're taking a shop online because cataloging has, you have to figure out their products, their prices um, and offers and deals. And then you have to maintain those on an ongoing basis. And we focus on daily needs. So you have multiple subcategories and all of those subcategories behave differently. So fruits and vegetables 
prices change, you know, every couple of days. Mm. If you go to a grocery store, prices change approximately every 14 days. So you're not just bringing them online, you're managing it. Now in a love local ecosystem, if a retailer literally did nothing with their catalog, they could sell very effectively. Another piece of friction we took away is um, the consumer app. So for example, folks who are trying to get shops to sell online, I think have missed two important beats here. One is shops have never sold online before and the experience and the e-commerce standard that's been established for consumers is something that they're not used to. It's a user flow and user journey that they've never been exposed to. So expecting shops to kind of, you know, there's a bunch of people saying, oh, you know, upload your own products and then here's a link and send them to your consumers. In this case, you haven't really solved a problem, right? You haven't taken over management of that consumer experience. And that requires you owning the consumer app and especially in our category owning that consumer experience, which is hyper-local daily needs. On top of that, customer service and operations is owned by us because customers have been exposed to e-commerce. Maybe they've placed an order on Flipkart or on Amazon or on Swiggy and they know that, okay, you know, I expect an order to flow like this. I expect to be able to talk to someone on chat or on call if there's an issue with my order. I expect to be able to process refunds, all of these things to, to build an e-commerce environment or just give a shop a self-serve app is not going to give them a true solution to enter commerce. So I think the number one thing is how can you look at what a retailer is comfortable with and then reduce as much friction or as much work for them, which is going to be new for them. Because if they choose you as a partner to digitize, in choosing you as a partner, they're choosing you as a manager of that solution. And so then you need to manage it end to end. You can't just say, here's a piece of technology, you figure it out because the problem then is not solved. So I think using like kind of the example of how Love Local does it, I think the fundamental thing is the way we built is, look, retailers understand retail and how to run retail businesses better than anyone. Can we build this in a way that taps into all the habits that they know, which is accepting orders, fulfilling orders, providing like a great experience, make, you know, like I, I'll give you an example. I order from a love local shop and today he sent me six mangoes and two of the mangoes were, were bad. Of course he cannot know that. So I sent a picture via the app of the two mangoes and he's going to replace them. And he's going to, I mean, last time this happened, like a couple of months ago, he sent me like four free kiwis and he sent me like an extra couple of mangoes. And that's why we love local shops because a big platform is never going to do that. They're never going to care that much. And so it's, a, it's, it's the beauty of kind of giving them everything, but then enabling enough of the platform to bring the local shop, you know, ethos and environment that makes us so happy to shop at local businesses. And what about investing, Arjuna? I mean, what are the key considerations that you take into account when investing in this space? Great question, Ricardo. Um, one of, you know, it's in the definition, right? These are run by moms and pops. There's often a generational issue and a comfort with technology. The more tech savvy, uh, you know, younger generation might spend a few hours in the shop, but they're not the decision maker. So how are you building intuitive tools that are simpler than the alternative of not using the technology, right? So that, that ethos I look for in a founding team that is not, that's sensitive to the needs of the, of the end customer, which is the mom and pop shop and, and, and the person they're trying to sell to. I've also found uh, potentially, you know, in, in slight opposition to how Akanksha framed it, that feet on the street sales force has been very important. Uh, and it may, may not be in creating the online presence, which Akanksha is doing with Love Local, but in se se selling some of the other solutions I discussed, like the logistics and the, B, uh, the B2B commerce platforms, um, they want to see and have an interaction with, with somebody that they can relate to. And they want after sales management so when I'm looking at a company, I'm looking at somebody who's saying, I know that it is going to be operationally intensive to build this scale. At a certain point, there will be virality. There will be a way to go fully digital in acquisition of these new, new stores to scale. But 
you have to start with a very, very rigorous operational focus. Um, then I think it, there's a lot in product design that I look for. Right? This is fundamental behavior change of these small shops. They are used to writing things down in a notebook, entering something into an app or, or a digital system is a big shift. Um, they are used to just managing a simple till with cash and, and coins to actually start to accept payments. It, it's a shift. So when I look at entrepreneurs and companies building um, solutions, I'm looking for people who get that idea of behavior change, who are thinking about simple intuitive products that are easy to use, um, that have high perceived value. And if I put myself in the, in the buyer's point of view, which is the mom and pop store, this has to solve an actual want that I have, not a perceived need that the entrepreneur who's selling me the technology has, right? We, we go into these things saying, oh, that's what they need. If you actually spend time in that last mile with the mom and pop stores, what they actually want and will pay for might be quite different. So there's, when I'm looking for companies to invest in, there has to be this interesting balance between I can leverage the best in technology and I can get really deep into the behaviors that I'm working with, build products against that, that leverages the technology such that I can have a simple, easy to use solution and get high adoption. So, so I would have completely agreed with Arjuna pre-March 15th, 2020. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I signed up our first hundred retailers myself. Like I've done the beat, like our team has sat with retailers for hours and hours. And that's why we have the business that we have. And in the first, so we launched in Jan of 2020. And in the first 12 weeks, I mean, Hector and team will know this. We grew a lot and then pandemic happened and India lockdown happened. And now retail is very different. And I think, you know, obviously the pandemic putting aside the pandemic and just how horrific and devastating this has experienced has been for everyone globally. We just speak from like behavior change perspective. The ground has fundamentally shifted. And today retailers can be reached without any feet on street. There has been a, there has been a transformation in receptiveness to technology, which actually started in 2018 in India because of GEO. And we started building Love Local in 2019, not knowing obviously this pandemic was around the corner. We built it in 2019. We launched it in Jan of 2020. Um, today, retailers are very comfortable with never seeing someone. I think they've almost been introduced to a world where they kind of see the efficiency in it. Where you need to have operations, and I will agree with Arjuna, is on like the customer service component um, and mm -hmm. taking care of that for the retailer. The second thing is very much like a Flipkart flip or an Amazon. You do have to be, build backend operations to support your retailers remotely. So the beauty of it is you no longer have to do these like service visits. Typically the Indian retailer, depending on the size of the retailer, would want to see your face at minimum twice a month. If it was a high value retailer, you would do it once a month. And if you were doing an acquisition, it would take like at least two visits, if not three visits, because typically there's another decision maker because these are family owned businesses. However, all of this has fundamentally changed. So there, the willingness to experiment is very high now because the cost of experimenting is also very low. Most apps in this space are completely free for a certain period of time or a certain set of features. And so that has made introduction and trial very easy. The second thing is yes, where you need to be incredibly strong in operations is that we have an entire retail account management infrastructure very similar to how Amazon manages resellers, right? These are not new playbooks. So you have to map your, each retailer should have an account manager. We map 2000 stores for every RAM because we also use a lot of automation. So for basic issues, we have chat bots and we have IVR and as issues escalate, then it moves into the retail and ma uh, managers kind of ecosystem for like more specific issues. So a com like I, I completely agree, a self-serve model is not the solution. However, FOS, I don't think we're ever going back to that. I think it's a, 
it's a long-term behavior change. And especially with younger generations that are going to get introduced to the businesses, this is, this is, this is a trend that is going to be permanent. So I think where you have to be incredibly good now is in terms of your backend operations, your partner support for retailers, thinking through a combination of strong operations and service, and then how technology is integrated into that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever disagree with Akanksha on India because she's deep in that ecosystem. But I think there's a long tail of emerging markets. Um, and is there's there, a continuum of sophistication. And I'm, I'm talking very generally. So uh, India has sort of leapfrogged with, uh, with Geo that has made data almost free. There's the availability of locally made low cost handsets and smartphones. So India is, is an interesting market with, with a tech stack that the government has built that has made payments very simple and intuitive. Everybody has an ID so you can, you know, you can click and pay. If you go to a different market and let's pick Bangladesh or Egypt, it's a different conversation. I think the last 12 months has changed something, but it's, it's the conversation that the feet on the street has with the retailer has, has gotten a lot easier. You still have to sell in person. The sales process is a lot simpler because now people are looking for a digital solution. Some markets that aren't just as sophisticated as India, people aren't going out there looking for a digital solution on a self-serve basis. Um, now, in 12 months, we should revisit this conversation and it could cha have changed yet again. But I think there's this continuum of markets that we need to be sensitive to where um, sophistication lies on various points on that, on that uh, continuum. That I completely concede to Arjuna. I'm speaking from a very <laughs> India first view of the world. And yeah, you're right. India, there's many things that are very unique about India's story and position as compared to other emerging markets. So one, one key consideration about, about retailers is the data, right? So they have a lot of data in terms of what they are selling, the, the, the basket, the type of customer and so on. So how, how can you capture that data and how relevant and what are the areas of opportunity in order to work around that data, Akanshka? Um, so I think there's kind of two parts to this. I think, again, I, I, everyone should be aware I have a very India first view of the world with everything I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, I think uh, one thing to consider when you're trying to solve a problem in this space is the Indian retailer is very aware today about their data, which is very different from a few years ago. So um, I think the first component that you need to even enter the space is you, you're going to have to win the trust of the retailer. Now, maybe in other emerging markets, retailers don't understand that yet. Maybe they will in a couple of years. Maybe they already do. But I can tell you the Indian retailer a few years ago did not understand that, you know, if I'm on an app, my customer data is now available. My sales data is now available. This is completely different today. Like retailers will actively ask you these questions and they are actively assessing platforms and brands on the basis of getting that safety and protection. Because honestly, they've had very bad experiences in India like say three or four years ago, where there were some platforms that played on this arbitrage and actually stole customers from local shops and then set up their own kind of inventory-led businesses or set up dark stores, et cetera. So on the first basis, how we address that as a business to even play in that opportunity long-term is we are, we are a marketplace business, but we are very much a shop-first marketplace business. And so there's certain things we even publicly say to retailers that no one else has ever given them before. For example, we will never open dark stores. We only work with small retailers. We do not work with modern trade or organized trade. Right? There's an, a lot of other players out there that will work as much with a big bazaar, which is the equivalent of our Walmart, as they will work with a local shop. Now, obviously, the big bazaar competes with a local shop. We will not do any of that. On top of that, we commit to the security of their data. We will never, you know, actually give raw data ever to like an FMCG brand or any brand like that, because this is data that is very inherent and integral, integral to the, the sanctity of the shop's business. So I think first and foremost, you really have to think thoughtfully about is the shop the customer you're solving a problem for? And if you're in a market that has similar dynamics to India, be very sincere in that commitment because I don't think you stand the chance of success 
if you don't think about these things and build a trustworthy platform and brand. Now, the second part of this is obviously in most emerging markets in like India, like so in India, 90% of FMCG or CPG sales go through local retail, which there's zero visibility into. It's all in cash. Now it's a little bit in digital. Uh, so it's a massive, massive problem that needs to be solved for FMCGs and CPG brands. Uh, obviously, this is something that we plan to solve for them. The way we plan to include retailers in solving this problem is we are going to co-monetize it with them. So as we make money from working with brands, they will see a side of that money and we will protect the data and the privacy of their data over time um, to ensure that, you know, ultimately, again, we are a shop first platform. And I think the two massive opportunities here at a macro level that we are solving and I'm sure can be solved in any other emerging market is that, you know, today, if Unilever puts an, it sells a shampoo, nine out of 10 times, they don't know who bought that shampoo, which, which shop they bought that shampoo in. They don't have the ability to influence that sale whatsoever. And when today they do a Google ad or a Facebook ad, there's no sales attribution. It's just kind of, you know, throwing an ad out into the dark and hoping impressions mean sales. Now, fundamentally, when you build and start digitizing offline, effectively what you're solving for is the ability, first and foremost, for Unilever to know, you know, the shampoo was in this shop, it was bought by this person, and I have that insight. And then I have a platform that allows me to influence not just the consumer side of the platform, but the channel side of the platform as well, so that I can increase my presence within channel and influence my sales with consumers. So... I think we are unlocking something massive in India. Again, it's 90% of sales in India. I think in other emerging markets, it may be the same or at least 60, 70, 80%. And that's in sense, I mean, what are the ethical challenges that you have encountered about data protection? I don't know, Arjuna, you have seen any cases in other emerging markets as well? Um, let, let, me, let me step back for a second, Ricardo, before I go into data protection. I think the other... I think what Akanksha is doing is a win-win, right? She's, whatever she's able to monetize from the CPGs, she's committed to sharing with the, with the store owners. And that's critical to, 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 and from an investor perspective, to align myself with an entrepreneur that thinks like that, that puts the customer first is, is, is critical. The second piece that we haven't really touched on, which I'm most interested in, is how does the data unlock financial services, right? I have spent 25 years trying to lend and unlock credit to SMEs all over the emerging and frontier markets. And it's been impossible to do. It's been high touch, high cost, try and understand what they've written down in their notebook and how they keep their notes to get a sense of turnover. It was a hopeless task, to be honest. Now that we're in the data flow, we have a sense of, of what the revenues are like, what the volumes are like, what throughput is, it, you start to be able to build credit models, risk models, underwriting models that, that allow you to, to offer credit. On top of that, you've just built a channel, right? Because you're in their business flows. So not only have you made risk management easier, you've actually made customer acquisition easier. And hopefully that drives down costs. To the, to the mom and pop store. So the benefit of this data used responsibly is really critical. Um, this challenge around data isn't just um, one that's focused on this mom and pop store, Ricardo. It's any financial service product, any, any general digital product we're looking at has this data problem. And I'll just make one quick point. It's not just the use of data, I think it's the security of the data and that gets often overlooked. We talk a lot about data privacy and data usage. We often forget to talk as with equal focus on the idea of data security. Um, so when I'm looking at a business, I'm, I'm having both those conversations at the same time. Do you have the proper safeguards in place from a principal perspective? And do you have the proper safeguards in place to protect that data? from a technology perspective and the stack you're building and the architecture you've created and the data security you've put around it. Um, and I think it, it's very important to keep those two in mind. All right. And I mean, just to, just to follow up there, I mean, you're, say, you're talking about financial services. So 
you are you talking in the sense that any mom and pop will finally become a, a fintech company or having embedded finance in it? Um, that, that, that goal is a few years away, right? Uh, let, let's start with financial service providers offering financial services to the mom and pop itself. So working capital, clearly a need, right? If, I'm, if I can only order a, place an order for 10,000 rupees today, can you give me the working capital to make an order for 15,000 rupees so I can broaden my SKUs and make my store more appealing, right? There is CapEx needs at any of these stores, right? Can I invest in a second fridge? Can I buy a freezer so I can offer frozen meats and frozen vegetables because people are looking for convenience, more so in the urban and peri-urban areas? How do I finance that? If you're in the data flow and you understand the risks, you can do more of this. A lot of these mom and pop stores might not have asset insurance, um, right? How do you think about that store now that you have a sense of what the value of the store is from an inventory perspective, can you start to think about insurance for this? That's the first level, right? The second level is the household. Now that I have this connection and a channel to this, to this unit, this household unit, are there other things they need at a household level, right? Is the family insured? Do they have health insurance? All of a sudden, the last 12 months has heightened the awareness of the need for protection around health. Right? If I have a channel, I have a trusted payment mechanism that since I'm connected to them, can I think more deeply? Ricardo, you were pushing me to the next level, which is these people are such vital parts of the community. And they're actually today financial service providers. If you go, and I, I, I grew up in India, so I can talk to this, right? I was sent to the corner shop five times a week. I never carried cash because I wasn't trusted with the cash and the change. The storekeeper just knew who I was. He wrote it down in a notebook. And it, when my mom or dad got to go to the store, they settled the account. They were an informal lender to my household. When I was uh, in sort of high school, yeah, or, well, let's not talk about that. but. Um, Friends of mine who started smoking, this was a, a different, different era. What they would do was they would go and give 50 rupees to the shopkeeper to guarantee a cigarette a day for the next 30 days because it was their way of mentally putting money aside. It was a savings account of sorts, right? Completely informal, but the mental model was, I now have a little bit of money I know I will need this over time. I'll store it at the shopkeeper because I trust them. So it, it's now a savings. This, the, that small storekeeper on a little piece of paper is running a mini savings and loan. He's a bank, right? How can you formalize that? Um, I'm very sensitive to overloading this channel, right? We have now this digital connection and this ability to bring so much on top is exciting. There's so much potential there. I think we just need to be thoughtful about how we sequence these various levels of engagement on financial products. Yeah, and, and obviously what we know is that this sector is huge, right? The value of the mom and pop market, it's almost nine, $900 billion globally. It's going to be growing significantly in the next coming years. So far in the US, we have 150,000 convenience stores. In India, there are more than 700,000 stores and, and so on. And obviously we have large corporations such as 7-Eleven with 71,000 stores, OXO with almost 18,000 stores, Circle K with 15,000 stores and so on. So there's a lot of corporations that are entering this market and not only retailers, but also CPGs, such as Abeinbev. Abeinbev have invested a lot of money in e-commerce marketplaces that they could displace the traditional mom and pop. Are these corporations gonna capture the whole market? Are they gonna displace the traditional mom and pops? What, what are your thoughts on that, Akanshka? So again, mine is an India first view of the world, but my view is absolutely not. So just to give you some numbers, <laughs> 
Uh, India, we have, <laughs> I mean, overall, we have more than 60 million local shops. If you just want to look at Kirana's, we have about 13 to 15 million, depending which data point you're looking at. And the market size that you talked about, I mean, our unorganized retail market is today anywhere from 850 billion in value to 1.1 trillion, again, depending on the data source, mm. projected to be 1.5 trillion by 2025. Unorganized retail in 2015 in India was just 560 billion. And this was the big question in 2000, sorry, 2015. And 2015, this was the big question because we had our first large scale grocery platforms in the country. So we had the big baskets, the grofers, Amazon Pantry started, it's still smaller compared to these, but these types of solutions started to enter the market. Alongside it, you had our first kind of big organized retailers make a mark in the country. So you had Big Bazaar, we have DMART, uh, we've had Apollo Pharmacies, et cetera. Again, this was the first time that they've had a lot of outlets. And this was a big point of debate is, are these, is e-commerce, is organized retail gonna replace the local shop? And the data clearly speaks for itself. We've always believed it wouldn't, but it's nice to see the, the market numbers play out. And there's a fundamental reason why in a market like India or any market structured like India, it won't happen, is we have shops in every neighborhood and this distribution is actually incredibly efficient. So if we wanna like, let's remove trust relationship and culture. And I think those are actually very big factors, but let's remove those for now and just, just talk about quality of service. Um, and efficiency of service and value for service. So, you know, in India, we're incredibly spoiled. I think the, the model in the West is different than what's happened here. We've been spoiled with free home delivery for about four to five decades now, right? I think when Amazon came about in the US and brought home delivery, it was like a really big deal. But our grandmothers have had home delivery from the local shops since they've been shopping and the local shops never charge them. So this experience of having home delivery is actually a very, very old one to us. So if someone's going to come and compete with us, they better provide something really good. And very frankly, you know, trying to give us free delivery in less than two hours is almost impossible for any of these models to do because India is so big that they would have to have a reach of, again, 10 to 15 million stores in just the grocery category to provide that level of efficiency. So that is just near impossible. On top of that, you know, India is a very diverse country and you literally have different neighborhoods like side by side. So if you're in a neighborhood that's mm. predominantly say a Gujarati community, Gujaratis tend to be more vegetarian. They have a completely different cuisine from say, next door you may have a Muslim neighborhood. Muslims are eating meat, halal meat, their diet is completely different. And local shops reflect the profile of their consumer base. So local shops have basically built their catalogs in their shops based on this two to three to maximum five kilometer radius that they may be selling in. And if you are an inventory led player, you are never going to be able to build for that level of customization. And so I'll just give you like our platform, right? Today we sell 55,000 unique products on Love Local. Our online catalog is larger than Big Basket, which is at 20,000, which is a, you know, a unicorn in the country as, a, as an inventory-led grocery player. Why is that? Because we don't hold inventory. Our problem statement is, can I digitize what's already in India's neighborhoods? Because the neighborhoods work. And so a local shop actually can afford to have long tail products, right? If there's one household that likes that one product, the shop is going to stock it. An Amazon pantry is not going to be able to serve that one household for that one product, especially when each neighborhood profile is completely different, even when they're right next to each other. And so when you start getting into that kind of complexity, you realize, okay, it's never going to get replaced. Now layer on top of that informal credit, as Arjuna said, I pay my, my local shops at the end of the month. Amazon is or Flipkart or Big Basket are never going to let me do that. And every Indian household is used to doing this. On top of that, there's just the amazing trust, service, quality assurance that I have from my local shop. So honestly, it's an impossible task. I think people are wasting money trying. Do you agree, Arjuna, with that? Or do you believe that corporations, are they gonna displace mom and pops and CPGs? No, um, I'm with Akanksha on this. So Akanksha gave a very thoughtful, wonderfully laid out bottoms up argument for this. I think we also have to be uh, sensitive to the 
the fact that these mom and pops are huge job creators and there will always be some policies that help keep them in place. There will be a top-down force as well, right? So, so the, stop, the store in the middle, there's this community-based bottoms-up protection. I think there will be some at some point, and we've seen it in India, for example, over the years, top-down protection. Then, and maybe I'm a, I'm a venture investor, so I have to have this point of view, which is the DNA of the big corporates hasn't kept up with being data-driven, hypersensitive to that end customer. The way when you hear Akanksha talk about her, her, her corner shop as, as somebody who serves them, it's just different. And that organizational shift and culture change is the trickier part that you need to see in the big CPGs and the big, big multinationals beyond investment in an idea because right? it's fundamentally changing the way you do business. It, this is not a key account. This is not Carrefour and Walmart. This is a tiny little shop with its own very idiosyncratic needs. How do you bridge the gap between your corporate processes and what they need? I think that's, that's, a, that's not a trivial task. So Akansha, Arjuna, what's next for the future of Mom and Pops? Any, any final comments on this? Um, so obviously, uh, I believe in the next 10 years, there will be a digital layer in all our neighborhoods. Obviously, that's what we're building towards in India. But I think this is something that you're going to see, you know, across emerging markets. I think the East or emerging markets will come to look very different from the West. In fact, I think when you speak to European investors, they are sharing about how there's almost like hyper-local dark stores that are coming. They're almost in some ways reverse migrating to create these, these local neighborhood experiences because in the gap in the middle, these big guys came in and wiped out a lot of, 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 uh, of these shops. And there's almost like a reverse trend happening to bring it back. Um, so I think the future is uh, adding a technology layer into neighborhoods, particularly in the daily needs segment, um, is, is a lot of what I'm talking about is also very relevant to that, that segment uh, in a significant way, potentially over other segments too. Um, and I think it's going to enhance even more the amazing shopping experience we've been having with local stores as, as Arjuna very, very correctly put it. And the way we look at the world is look, our shops know how to run their businesses better than we could ever run a local business. Our job is to be an amazing technology partner and extend their ability to to bring that quality of experience and all the things they do into the technology universe. There is nothing I have to teach a local shop about how to serve consumers, very frankly, in terms of the care, the love, the, all of that stuff. <laughs> My job is to, technology, to, to surface it in a new way and to enhance it through technology if that's possible in any way. I think the, um, actually I'll stop there. I think the second thing I was going to say is eventually I think the way this plays out from a company perspective or a platform perspective is because these are small business owners, they're going to have one core partner that is, that is the full stack partner. And I mean, we are building a full stack solution. However, I think similar to us, the, the owner or the, the core owner of the store that powers the store is going to have to be happy to integrate third party solutions. So for example, in Love Local, we would never think to even say we're going to build a payment solution, right? My job is to integrate all the payment solutions so they're available to the store. But as a core service provider, when there's a problem with payments, they deal with us. So we are the full stack owner of that entire technology stack. And parts of that stack may be owned by specialists within the space, within that specific domain. But the responsibility of everything in that stack will be powered and owned by a single player. And so I think that's how it's going to play out a little bit differently than how, for example, enterprise SaaS may play out, where a large company can afford to have three to four different companies they deal with for different domains. And so I think in terms of how the stack looks five, 10 years from now, you'll go into a shop and they'll say, oh, Love Local is my partner. Within Love Local, maybe 20% of the services are actually built and delivered by a third party partner. Another example, I'll give you logistics, 3PL logistics. Love Local is integrated with 3PL logistics partners. I would not venture to say we should go into logistics <laughs> at all. 
I think our job is to integrate integrate with them. And we're integrated with all the largest players in the country, and it's a simple touch of the button for them to enable it. Now, the entire experience of the logistics partner showing up, providing the service, I'm not going to tell the shop to go deal with the logistic partner. It is my responsibility for all the services on that stack. The stack is powered and owned by Love Local. However, I'm smart enough to know that 20% of that stack or thereabouts will be powered by integrations that I will then have to manage with third parties. So I think that's how it plays out in a longer game on how the, the actual service platform builds out. Great. Arjuna? Um, so I think this, this pandemic, while it's given huge tailwinds to digitization, has, will potentially widen the gap between the digital haves and the digital have-nots and the digital adopters. So that's one dimension. There's another dimension around all of these solutions we talk about, no matter where in the world, is still sort of highlights the gap between urban tier one and tier two, tier three, and rural areas of any country, right? If you look at any of these solutions that we, we talk about, Akanksha said she's in 30 cities, if I got it right, which is an amazing scale. But if you if you look across the globe, you're, these companies are just cracking Jakarta or Cairo or Lagos, right? They haven't gone to the long tail of, of markets. So it, it's going to take time. I think user behavior in those markets are also going to take time to evolve. I think we're at a unique moment where there is this digitization and, and now we've got to make sure that user adoption and service delivery digitize at the same pace. Um, but there will still always be in my mind, some role of the physical that marries the digital to create a really sort of seamless shopping experience that, that both gives you convenience and ties you to the community. All right, and just to add to that, I completely agree on Arjuna's last point. So one thing that we very clearly say when we're solving for local retail, which is something that, again, many players, I think, miss the beat on, is that we're integrating online with offline. It's not about just creating this online environment. So, you know, shop pickup is an incredibly popular feature. And whenever I speak to investors, they're really blown away by this. But, you know, there is an aspect, the first order problem, for example, that we're actually solving is the fact that discovery is really hard. And people actually just want, first, you need to, sometimes when people look at e-commerce, they treat the entire funnel as one problem, but there's actually multiple problems that are being solved. So like discovery is the first problem. Then the second problem is checkout. Can I be online and check out? And then there's digital payments. And then there's some people who want home delivery. And then there's some people who are okay with shop pickup. And so I think, you know, you really have to think about the different types of users that you're solving for. And again, there are many examples in, in um, developed markets where things like shop pickup, or I think it's called like, I think it's a pickup and drop, or I forgot what the term is. Curb, curbside pickup and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, which are incredibly popular features for users because the, the, the providers have understood it's not a one stack problem. It's actually multiple problems at different stages. And these problems are different for different users. And so I completely agree that for us, when we look at digitizing shops, it's actually not to kill the physical experience at all. It's to enhance it with an online experience, integrate that online experience with offline. Another offline feature we have is geofencing. So obviously pandemic does not allow Indians right now to go to shops, but you know, when there's not a pandemic, if they physically walk into a store and they have the app, they get a notification of all the offers that, that are deals and offers currently running at that store which otherwise a shop would have no way of communicating. Typically, either you have to ask the owner or they put kind of flyers in the window if you're lucky, right? That's, again, taking technology to enhance the offline experience. And so this is not something that needs to be limited with a very narrow lens to like online is better, e-commerce, it's better. No, it's technology to digitize all aspects and integrate retail with online and offline. Great, thank you so much for, for, for sharing your comments, sharing your thoughts, Akanshka, Arjuna. It's a pleasure having you today in this conversation. We also would like to thank you, all of the participants. Please follow us in our, in our, in our, in our LinkedIn, in the Medium, in Spotify, in Twitter, as ACB underscore BC. Also, we would like to thank you, or Alice, Aseme, Gade, Gan Generation S, Global Corporate Venture, Innova360, IBCA, LAPCA, and BC Academy. Follow us, 
and see you in the, our next webinar on May 19. Thank you, everyone, and have a nice day. Thanks, Hector. Thanks, Bye. everyone.